Elvis Education Conservation. Wait a minute, I forgot the lyrics. Pack your bags and prepare to discover something new on this episode of The Foul Life as Chad Belding is joined by Scott Williams, President and CEO of Discovery Park of America in Union City, Tennessee. It has been very successful. We have 250,000 visitors a year that come here and visit. You really do come here and experience the whole world. This fascinating conservation conversation on The Foul Life is brought to you by Benelli, Bandit, Avery Outdoors, and Mojo. This is going to be cool. Now for The Foul Life's host and guide, Chad Belding and Scott Williams of Discovery Park of America. Let the show begin. Are you in Tennessee right now? I am, yeah, right here in Union City. Are you born and raised? No, I'm actually a Memphian. I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee, the home of, uh, I guess Elvis was born in Tupelo, right? And he, uh, Graceland's in Memphis. Yeah, but I worked for uh, Elvis Presley Enterprises for 12 years, so Memphis definitely claims him. Yeah, Memphis, uh, we have offices in Memphis over off of Cumberland Boulevard. Um, I've been going there. A long time. Union City, there's a college in Union City, right? I mean, one of my good friends, one of the best goose and duck callers I know, Kelly Powers, graduated from the college there. Yeah, Kelly's a good friend of mine. He helped us on this exhibit we're talking about. And uh, UT Martin is where you're talking about. UT Martin. My wife teaches art history there. Oh, very cool. Yeah, Kelly, that family's a heck of a heck of a family, great people, and they run an awesome business with Final Flight and... I competed against Kelly for years and probably beat him one out of a hundred contests. He was pretty solid. Yeah, that's what I that's what I hear. Yeah, he's legit. So Discovery Park is I wanna you know, we wanna talk about Discovery Park today, but you have a long tenure of being in media, um, journalism in college, and history sounds like it got you and you've done a lot of things that are historic, um, you know, historic and artifact based all throughout your entire career, leading up to what you're doing now in Union City there with the opening of Discovery Village in this museum. But you you work for Museum, is that how you pronounce it? Is that was the one that yeah. You came from the museum, and that one. Where, where was that one located at? Washington D.C. Did you open the museum as well? No, I didn't. Um, my career has been strange in that I always end up there after the founder dies. So Elvis, Al Newharth, and Robert Kirkland. So I thought about writing a business book called "In the Shadow of the Three Kings." That'd be cool. You have written some books. You have some published books. We'll get into those as well, but. Is it a vision to where you come in there and it's been kind of started and you, for lack of better terms, you kind of become the lead role in in Discovery Park now to where you saw some areas that were lacking and you're able to take it because you are the CEO, the president of Discovery Village. That's your title. So you're calling the shots and there's been a lot added to it and a lot that's very important to that part of the country, that part of the flyway when it comes to the waterfowl part of the exhibit. Um, Talk to me first though, Scott, why did they put it where they put it? Um, I know like in Memphis, when you start studying Danny Thomas and St. Jude's and how he picked the Mississippi River in that part of the country to put that hospital and that children's cancer research center. And then there's the story of the NFL football player, I believe, in Philadelphia and the Ronald McDonald House and how that all came into fruition in different parts of the country. But it seems like it, when you talk about museums, you want to put them somewhere like St. Jude's, like in Memphis, where it's a bigger tourist attraction. It's got more tourism coming into it. It has more everyday traffic flow coming into it. 
Talk to me why they pick a place like Union City, Tennessee, that's kind of off the beaten path. And you really have to persuade people to come somewhere to see these exhibits in this museum. Is that a fair question? Yeah, absolutely. So you would be off just a little. The population of Union City is 10,000 people. 10,000. And so it is a tiny town up here, almost to Kentucky in the northwest corner of Tennessee, very close to Real Foot Lake, which some of your visitors may be familiar with. The founder of Discovery Park was a gentleman who through his career, discovered that he loved import-export. And so he would travel around the country. He would find things that he thought he could reproduce um, and then resell at a profit here in the States. And he became very good at that. He opened a store called Kirkland's, which a lot of folks may be familiar with. It is along the lines of a Pier 1 Imports type store, um, and it is still uh, in existence. He actually sold it to another organization uh, years ago and invested his money very wisely and became very, very successful. But what stuck with him was the way that him as somebody from Union City, Tennessee, the way he got to travel around the world and be exposed to new ideas, new ways of thinking, new thoughts. And these things really changed his life. And so he really regretted that a lot of folks won't be able to have those experiences. They won't be able to travel around the world. So um, he had this idea, but he didn't know exactly what the idea was going to be. But it was the idea for a center of education is what he called it, but it had to be fun. He was a guy with a great sense of humor. He was very funny. He loved practical jokes. And so he wanted both a place where it would be educational, but a place where it would be hands-on, not stuffy. It will be fun. And he spared no expense and invested a hundred million dollars in Discovery Park of America, which is a, it's a 50 acre heritage park and it's a hundred thousand square foot museum. And it is unlike anything else in the entire world, because to your point, you wouldn't spend a hundred million dollars on an attraction in a town of 10,000. Yeah, it's a pretty big risk. Would you agree? Like if you're going to invest a hundred million, you would think you'd want to put it somewhere right off of a major, like maybe Interstate 40 or Interstate 80 or 55, maybe around St. Louis or coming into Memphis. Like it's a pretty big risk, right? Well, and actually, you know, I've spent a lot of years in the museum business. It would be a big risk in um, Atlanta. It would be a big risk in L.A. or New York. I recently had some folks here from Los Angeles and I was doing a tour and they said, man, I wish we had something like this in L.A. You know, so it's really you wouldn't find unless somebody was just doing it out of the goodness of their heart as a way to give back. This is not the kind of place anyone would do as a business investment. You know, it is we are a 501c3 nonprofit and we do have a lot of donations from organizations and individuals. And uh, Robert Kirkland, he did pass away very soon after the organization opened. And um, he was fortunately able to be sitting up front as the first school buses unloaded the first children that were able to come through. And so we do, as it turns out, it has been very successful. We have 250,000 visitors a year. that come here and visit. We get significantly more people from two hours away than we get from 20 minutes away. We have four brand new hotels that have just been built next door to us. So it is quite an interesting success story in both giving back to the world after a successful career, but also in tourism in a rural community. So both of those things are really interesting to me. Very interesting. And how does the museum work? What could I expect 
coming in as a, whether I'm an eight-year-old kid or a 35-year-old adult, what can I expect? Are there tour guides? Is it just a walkthrough museum where you're reading poster boards through the displays? What all, is there interaction? Is there audio that you listen to? Are there theaters? Give me kind of a rundown of what a, uh, a museum goer could expect on his or her visit. Sure. So if you back up one step, I think what one experiences today um, is a little bit harkens back to the very beginning um, when Robert Kirkland wanted to build a what he called a center of education. He put an ad in the paper and said, I want to build a center of education. If you want to join me, meet me at the library on this date at this time. And, you know, oftentimes you do things like that and you wonder how many people are going to show up for this meeting. We had 200 plus people from the community show up that day at the library, crammed it full. Um, he had divided it up into sections that he thought of, and then he got them to help him think of other sections. So it was science, technology, transportation, uh, dinosaurs, rocks, theater, art. And he said, go to the table that you're the most interested in that subject. And so the members of the community went to the table that was kind of their uh, area of passion. And he said, you're the committees now. I want you to create exhibits. You tell me what what you think should go in your section. And then he took all that information people gave him, and then he hired museum professionals and said, this is what I want it to be. And so they put together exhibits and experiences. And so, you know, it's state of the art. He spared no expense. He had a few things that were on his list of absolutes. And so um, he absolutely wanted a train. He wanted a complete train with a caboose, with cars, with an engine. And so, you know, those kind of things, he wanted the tallest tower, you know, and, and he would, uh, according to stories, I never got to meet him, but according to stories, you know, he would tell the organizers, I would like this thing. And they would say, oh, I'm sorry, that's too expensive or that doesn't fit into plans. And, you know, he would say, you didn't hear me. I want this thing, you know, and so he had the money to put behind what he wanted. And so... Everything from dinosaur bones, you can see the complete dinosaurs like a lot of uh, science museums have. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, Real Foot Lake in a few minutes, but there's some experiences there related to Real Foot Lake. We have a huge aquarium that has to fish like you would see, you know, a lot like the Bass Pro Shops kind of aquariums where you can see the fish that are usually, you know, when you're fishing that you see. We have an earthquake simulator that where you experience how Real Foot Lake was actually formed. We have exhibits on transportation. So there's, you know, 30 or so vintage antique cars that go all the way back to the beginning of transportation all the way up to today. Uh, there's a military gallery, a Native American gallery. Outdoors, we have 50 acres of exhibits. So we have uh, exhibits on innovation and agriculture. Uh, Robert Kirkland was very much about, uh, he was very patriotic. There's a whole section called Freedom Square and lining the entrance to Freedom Square where we have a Liberty Bell. There are statues of people that he admired. So you have Ronald Reagan, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Ayn Rand, uh, who was a writer who you know wrote Fountainhead, and he was a big fan of hers. So he put a statue to her there as well. Two huge lakes that were man-made that are connected by a stream. During COVID, we were trying to think of things you could do outside, and so we decided to open it up for fishing. So people still come every day and fish and catch great big fish 
in our lakes. Sweet. So just a lot. You could fill up two days full of the Discovery Park experience. When you start talking about prehistoric and dinosaurs and transportation and railroads and the history that you keep touching on, Mr. Scott, is most of the displays, is this geared and centered around Tennessee's involvement in all the way back before they became a state, before they were part of the Union? Does it concentrate on that area of the country of like the dinosaurs that were in that country, the railroads that ran through that part of the country? Real Foot Lake is located in Tennessee. I've visited it many times for ducks. We'll get into that more in a bit. But is most of the displays, or I should say, are most of the displays geared around what was happening in that part? Part of the region and that part of the country or is there stuff that's going on in seattle and stuff that's going on in georgia all reflected in the displays at discovery museum yeah so robert kirkland really wanted to bring the rest of the world to the folks in this area and so it is actually about the whole world and so we have uh, japanese gardens here with koi ponds we have a european gardens that has a maze that you would see a la the shining you know so we have that type of thing so you really do come here and experience the whole world not just west tennessee although we do of course because we're all from west tennessee we do acknowledge that and we're very proud of that um in fact we have a statue of david crockett who was the one of the first settlers in this area and was our congressional representative for several years and there's also an exhibit on david crockett and his impact here in this area are there exhibits on other maybe modern day tennessee achievements whether it be you said that memphis claims the king of rock and roll Can we see Elvis at Discovery? Are there displays on the boom of Nashville in Music City, USA? Are the Tennessee volunteers, does Peyton Manning have a a wax museum statue in Discovery Village? Is Tennessee very well represented since it's in the state of Tennessee? Yeah, you know what? It's really not necessarily a not a lot of Tennessee people would find. They would find things from around the world. But we do temporary exhibits that come in and do take up a lot of that. Um, we have a lot of rock and roll exhibits. Music is a big part of what we do. We also do music festivals. So we in uh, May and June on Friday nights, we have a music festival called Rhythm on the Rails. We have a brand new performance stage out by our trains. And we bring in all different types of uh, musicians from the area, jazz, country. Uh, they'll be from Nashville or Jackson or Memphis. We have a lot of singer-songwriter events where singers, uh, songwriters will come in from Nashville and perform. So we do a lot of that kind of thing, but with uh, either rotating or concerts. We do a lot of uh, hands-on, science type things with the professors over at UT Martin, which you mentioned. Having them close by is really a blessing because you've got a lot of um, educators who are passionate about educating. So we have a, a lot of people here in a big space. So we take advantage of it. So 13, they cut the red ribbon, 2013. Mr. and Mrs. Kirkland open up Discovery Park. 10 years have gone by. I know that you said Mr. Kirkland has passed. If he was able to sit in this discussion with us today, Mr. Scott, would he say that he's achieved every goal that he forecasted for the first 10 years when they cut that red ribbon and opened the doors to Discovery Park, what significance has happened in 10 years? Are you reaching the goals? Are you exceeding what he maybe thought would happen in the first 10 years? Give us kind of like a an outlook of the first 10 years of what happened and where we're going from here. You know, I really have no way of knowing for sure, but I do think his children have told me 
that they feel like he would be very pleased with what is going on. I got to know his wife a little bit before she passed away. Um, so I know a little bit about from her perspective, what their vision was and what their goals were. Of course, no one's honestly ever put a hundred million dollar museum and heritage park in a town of 10,000. So, you know, it was an experiment. I think he would be happy to know that we have about 250,000 visitors a year and that is growing. I know that he would be very happy to know that part of the impetus to what made him want to build something like this was the fact that in 2011, the Goodyear tire plant moved out of Union City. And it took 2,000 jobs out of this town of 10,000, which was, you know, quite devastating to the community. And so he, I think he would be very glad to know that his idea of this place being an employer here in this region and generating a lot of other uh, jobs. And, you know, when there are tourists coming in town, there are people that have to work in hotels or people that get to work in restaurants there. Are, you know, so there's a lot of uh, business and economic development that's been driven by, you know, having a tourist attraction here in this town. So um, I think that would make him uh, very happy. We have a statement from him, you know, when he opened Discovery Park of America that said, you know, I hope that people will visit Discovery Park again and again and have an expectation each time to experience innovation. And so we really try to use that. We try to focus on innovation with everything we do, like the the ag exhibit that we opened uh, two years ago is called um, Agriculture Innovating for Our Survival. And it's all about all the folks that are working in agriculture today who are innovating and all the unique things they're doing uh, to grow our food, fuel and fiber. So those are the kind of things that I think he would be very pleased with seeing. And, you know, we all try to work really hard here. I always think about um, I heard a, an interview with him and they said, how many people work at Discovery Park? And he said about half of them. I try to work double hard, so he wouldn't have to say that. In working for the King of Rock and Roll for 12 years and understanding history, you're a very well-read individual, I can tell from talking with you. Was he amazing? I'm too young to probably ever be able to go to an Elvis Presley concert, but my mom went to several. She still has Elvis memorabilia hanging on her walls in 2023 i believe the revenue that's driven by elvis presley still he's been passed away for 40 50 years now i believe he died in the late 70s is that correct yeah 77 i don't want to get past the fact that you worked for elvis presley enterprises for 12 years how significant was this man in not just music but american culture um the message of what how he went back to the military for example what he did for other countries the way he traveled what he did for children in hospitals and da 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 like how significant was elvis presley in the fabric of american culture and society scott like how, was he as important as we've given him the credit of being sure you know i mean i think so to answer that question there's a couple things about elvis uh that make him stand out and make him unique and that contribute to the longevity of his title as the king you know first of all you can't discount you know an incredible amount of charisma he had a, he had just a God-given ability to perform on stage and exude a huge amount of charisma, you know, which is key. But also there are other people that stand on stage and generate charisma. So, you know, it can't just be that. He had a passion to succeed and a drive to work hard and everybody, you know, there's a lot of people that have that, you know, but so, so that contributed. And then he had a singing voice and 
an acting ability. And so anyway, I think when you put it all together, I believe that one of the reasons that he has, you know, lasted still to today is that there are so many different Elvises that appear to so many that appeal to so many different people. So, you know, you've got people that love Elvis's gospel music. I talked to a lady the other day and she said her aunt had passed away and the only music she wanted played from beginning to end was Elvis's gospel music. So you have people that are passionate about that. Elvis, you know, uh, from the spiritual world, you know, Elvis loved gospel music and wanted himself to be a gospel singer and had Southern gospel backup singers and, um, you know, really supported the Blackwood brothers and, and folks like that. And so, um, there was that aspect of Elvis. And then there's the rock and roll Elvis, you know, who was, you know, all seventies and, uh, leather and, you know, really cool and hip. Then there was the movie star Elvis. You know, another aspect of him is that he had a home that was a tourist attraction that was sort of the living embodiment of him that people started going to before he died. You know, I, as a little boy, I remember driving down Ellis Presley Boulevard and my mom saying, look, there's Elvis riding a horse. So, you know, this location that's highly visible and easily accessible was there and it became a living embodiment. And so that, you know, the very first year after he died, Elvis week kind of happened organically. The first year, thousands of Elvis fans showed up at the gate, you know, without being invited, you know, just to commemorate his death. And of course, now all these years later, they every year there's Elvis week. So I just think it's a combination of all those things. And then from a pop culture perspective, you know, you've got the ultimate Elvis tribute artist contest that the estate runs. And so you've got Elvis tribute artists that compete all over the world um, and they all come to Memphis for Elvis week to compete in the ultimate Elvis tribute artist contest where they win $20,000. You know, you can't go, you know, you go on a cruise ship. If there's an Elvis, a lot of people are like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to go see the Elvis. You know, you want to get your picture taken by him. A lot of people want to get married by the Elvis impersonator <laughs> in Las Vegas. It's crazy. That's the other thing you've got the Las Vegas Elvis, the Nashville Elvis and the Memphis Elvis, you know? So I think just the depth and breadth of, both his talent and how he applied his talent is what contributes to him still being a superstar today. Last question on the subject before we get back to Discovery Park, Mr. Scott. Michael Jackson probably was on that trail of Elvis-esque stardom. I don't know if there will ever be another Elvis to cross, you know, like there will never be another Jackie Robinson in Major League Baseball or any professional sports to cross the line and take that risk and do what he did. I don't know if there will ever be another Elvis when it comes to entertainment, but Michael Jackson was on that path in a way like he was worldwide fame statues. People would do anything to go to never, never land and get pictures with them and be a part of his story. Do you personally think there's a big time artist today? Taylor Swift is selling out 77,000 seat arenas like it's amazing what's happening in some music today. But will there ever be another Elvis? You just mentioned Western movies, love movies, uh, kissing cousins. I can name a ton of his movies. He's on every in every gift shop in America, almost on clocks today, on coffee cups, on socks, you name it. And then you just went through an entire uh, description of where he's at and where his image holds tight still in 2023. Do you think it could ever be possible somebody could do that again or repeat that history? 
I mean, I think maybe the biggest reason why I would say no is because of the fracturing of media. You and I could be similar ages, we could be similar locations, but we could both be into things that neither of us ever knows about because we're only seeing what we want to see. We're able to, you know, instead of a hundred thousand people watching one thing, you know, you've got five thousand people watching a hundred things. And so it's just, um, I don't think there's ever going to be, you know, you look at Taylor Swift now, maybe who knows what she may do next, you know? Um, but I have, you mentioned her, I have thought a few times when I've been watching like on TikTok, I'll see, you know, some of the theaters and the things with the young girls dancing, you know, obviously Taylor Swift has a demographic that she appeals to more significantly than any other demographic. And so, you know, those young ladies, that are dancing in that theater that are 12 to 17 years old, they're going to have memories of that. And that will be embedded in their lives until they're, you know, they'll be going on Taylor Swift cruises when they're 70 year old ladies, <laughs> you know, and they'll be listening to the music and they'll be dancing in the aisles. But I don't know that the numbers of people will equal the numbers of people that consider themselves Elvis fans. And I'll tell you, when I was at Elvis Presley Enterprises for Elvis Week, you know, frequently I would have parents come up to me. Like I remember specifically one guy came up to me and he had twin little boys and he and they were, you know, they looked to be about 14. And he came up and he said, are you involved in all this? And I said, yeah. And he said, I got to know, what are you guys doing? What are you doing to my kids? He goes, I'm not an Elvis fan. My wife is not an Elvis fan, but my boys just turned 14. And for their birthday, they wanted to go to Graceland for Elvis week because they are huge Elvis fans. And so somehow, you know, Elvis is able to transcend and still reach brand new fans that are discovering him every day because of his music and, and everything. So yeah, I, it's hard to say, but that was a long answer to your question. I'm going to say, no, there will never be another Elvis. I lied. There's one more question. Do you take it personal? When people aren't Elvis fans or they maybe even d disgrace the man or or maybe insult the man or his legacy, because I've heard people say he was overrated. Uh, you know, Elvis got fat. He did this. They, they just always want to down the man without really knowing the story. When I think it's an incredible story and I'm not even well read on his history or his career like you are, but do you take it personal a little bit? Because you got a lot of passion for Elvis Presley, it seems. Does it hit you in the heart when somebody might have something bad to say about Elvis Presley or what he did in American history? I mean, to be honest, I would get defensive about anything or any place or any topic that I feel like I know a thing or two about. And if somebody spouts off information that I know to be not true, you know, that's when I want to correct them and I want to instill the knowledge that I have been exposed to to them because there's always opinions. You know, you and I could disagree on whether or not Taylor Swift is a good singer, you know, and so we could debate that all day long. But whether or not she is a successful singer you and I could not debate. If you said she's not successful, I would argue you to where she is absolutely successful. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, to be honest, when I started working there, I was not an Elvis fan. I don't listen to a lot of Elvis music. I certainly don't spend a lot of time watching Elvis movies. But, you know, as an entertainment icon, that's what I'm more uh, engaged with. And also the business of Elvis. You know, I worked for a long time on, you know, how to both maximize revenue generated, but also maintain long-term respect 
and understanding of his impact. Part of my job that I was blessed to get to do was people who were working with an Elvis product. I had to make sure that the integrity was maintained from the beginning of their launch to when they were done, you know, selling Elvis because, you know, he was a human being at the end of the day. And so we did want to make as much Elvis available as the world wanted while doing it respectfully and maintaining the integrity as though he were alive. You know, uh, Jack Soden, who was the president of uh, Elvis Presley Enterprises and still is, said, I want you to imagine that at the end of every day, you got to walk up that hill at Graceland. You got to sit down with Elvis and explain to him why you made the decisions you made, you know, that day. And so, you know, that stuck with me. So, yeah, so I I'm passionate about the brand, but also passionate about, you know, making sure the memory of the actual human being is maintained. I can't think of another. I mean, maybe Paul McCartney. I know John Lennon was assassinated in 71, I believe, but I just can't think of anybody else that could ever have a a general manager or a president say, imagine walking up that hill and sitting down with Elvis and showing him what you did that day and making sure that he approved. Like, I don't know of any other act or even like celebrity that comes to mind off the top of my mind doesn't have that holding power, doesn't have that legacy. And there's been some great entertainers through the years, but that's, you're talking king, like he's called the king, but you're talking like real world or country kings that that kind of sentence is spoken about, in my opinion. So I didn't want to have this discussion without touching back on that. We started talking about the Discovery Park and we're not going to leave this conversation with Mr. Scott. We're going to break for a real quick commercial. Stay tuned. In the 1930s, waterfowl hunters encountered a duck drought. However, conservation efforts were sparked by unlikely heroes, the hunters themselves. How is shooting the birds in the sky, how is that conservation? I said, well, you come to our exhibit and you'll find out. The exhibit tells, first of all, the story of the ducks and the geese and other waterfowl. Why are they important? Now, waterfowl hunting has a bright future thanks to hunters, conservationists, and great brands that support this way of life like American Almond Beef, The Provider, Yukonuba, Secure It, and Gator Coolers. Chad Belding and Scott Williams will return after the break. Don't go anywhere. Have you become a member of Camo Space? Have you built your profile? Do you want to be able to celebrate the hunt, your fishing trip, your shooting excursion? Are you tired of being shadow banned by other social media facets and platforms? The Reed family in Maryland has designed Camo Space to be hunter, fisher, conservation specific. Share your recipes, share your videos, do it with pride. Go on there and learn in the tutorials and the instructional sections. Download the app today. Get Camo Space, get the merch, wear it with pride. Update your profile daily with stories and photography and videos. This is what social media should be for everybody. Our experience should not be altered because we have pride in being an American hunter, a worldwide hunter, a fisher, a camper, an outdoorsman, an outdoors woman. Camo Space is fighting for all of us and they're giving us a platform to share our experiences, tell our stories, create our memories, create our legacy. Camo Space is all about your legacy. 
house it there, own it there, update it daily, tell your friends and family about it, and let's build the Camo Space community. They're the official social media platform of the Foul Life Podcast and Benelli's The Foul Life TV. You'll see us hunting with the Reed family. We represent them. We're proud to do it, just like my brother Michael Waddell at Bone Collector is. Become a member of Camo Space today, build your profile, and let's build this army and community at Camo Space. Thank you all very much. I think lighting is everything. I don't like being in the dark. I don't even like secrets being told. That's kind of keeping you in the dark, isn't it? I don't like setting up decoys in the dark. I don't like looking for anything in the dark. Turn your headlights and drive down the street. Obviously, it's impossible. Lighting is everything. A well-lit room, a well-lit hunt. They make your decoys look better when that sun's shining on them. Mallards perform different, and we perform better and differently when we have our rigid light bars, all of the rigid lights on our trailer. When we can see what we are doing, setting up our blinds, concealing our blinds, setting up our spread, exact distance from a fence or a tree line that we want to be. When you can brighten up the night, brighten up those early mornings. I'm telling you, it makes your hunting success go way up. The odds are in your favor when you put Rigid on your trucks, in your bumpers, in your light bars. Check them out at rigidindustries.com. I can't say enough about their LED technology. It is the best. It's often imitated, but never duplicated. I know you've heard that before, but there is nothing like Rigid Lights. R-I-G-I-D. You'll find them on all of our Corning Ford Fords, all of our rigs, all of our trailers, on the noses, on the sides, on the back door. When we turn on our lights on our trucks and trailers, we ignite the field and we ignite the hunt. And that's exactly what Rigid Industry does. It ignites our passion for the outdoors. The official LED light bar and lights of the Foul Life podcast and Benelli's The Foul Life TV. See them in action right now, exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Brand new episode, season 15 of Benelli's The Foul Life. Thank you so much, Rigid. And thank you all for supporting the brands and partners that support us. Safari Club International, first for hunters. That's not just a slogan. They're on Capitol Hill, lobbyists, lawyers, attorneys, fighting for hunters' rights across this world. I talk to the president and CEO, Laird Hamberlin, all the time, and it blows my mind to understand his traveling schedule as he represents Safari Club International in so many different facets. Meetings, organizations, banquets, you name it. Every single thing that this man is doing with his crew and team, Ben Cassidy, Chris LaCovicia, it is amazing to see the work being done behind the scenes by Safari Club International. And if you don't think that hunting rights need to be fought for, then you haven't watched the news, you haven't been well read, you haven't been paying attention. Get your head out of the sand and pay attention to what's going on in our country, let alone the world right now. And Safari Club International is fighting for our rights every single day. So become a member, join them, attend a banquet, attend the National Convention. Late January 2024, Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, USA. The Safari Club International Convention will be back. It was bigger than better last year and it's going to be bigger and better again this year. I'm telling you, we cannot take our hunting rights for granted. We need Safari Club International fighting for our rights behind the scenes every single day. So when you're watching that sunrise or your dog swim back with a mouthful of mallard feathers watching those big honkers descend or that whitetail get underneath your tree stand squirrel hunters i don't care what you hunt i don't care what species and i don't care where i don't care what tactic safari club international is fighting for our rights get involved become a life member if you can a yearly member for sure and again we are proud members life members of safari club international we truly believe in their message and their fight and we are going to fight right alongside with them thank you sci first for hunters.
It was the winter of 1811 in Tennessee when a natural phenomenon occurred, re- resulting in what is now the incredible waterfowl hunting destination of Real Foot Lake. It shook the earth so much that it made the church bells ring in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. Welcome back to The Fowl Life with Chad Belding and guest Scott Williams, President and CEO of Discovery Park of America in Union City, Tennessee. Some of the hotels that were built on our downtown were built specifically to serve the hunters that would come in from all over the country to hunt here. The Fowl Life with Chad Belding is proudly brought to you in part by Corning Ford and Safari Club International. Now, let's rejoin Chad and Scott. This is the Fowl Life Podcast. We are in to birds. We're in to the migration. We talked about Kelly Powers, one of the greatest short read Canada goose callers in the world, one of the best meat duck callers in the history of meat duck calling contests. The Powers family is very important to me. Kelly's been on this podcast numerous times. We've done a lot of discussion with Kelly Powers when it comes to hunting ducks and geese, decoying, flagging, calling, concealment, flyaways, farming, conservation, you name it. But now at Discovery Park, opening on November 10th, 2023, is going to be an exhibit based on the Mississippi Flyway. Correct, Scott. Correct me if I'm wrong, but hunting, conservation, the importance that this flyway plays in these migratory birds, ducks, geese, shorebirds. Kelly Powers was mentioned by Mr. Scott that he had helped him with this. There's not a better family to help with a display like this. But again, opening November 10th, 2023 at Discovery Park in Union City, Tennessee is going to be the Mississippi Flyway waterfowl hunting and conservation display. And we're going to go through some of what's going to be included in this display but this is pretty cool right now that you're going to be able to walk into an area of discovery park in union city tennessee mr scott and learn about migratory birds their migration paths conservation efforts that have put more birds in the flyway what farmers are doing what hunters are doing what conservationists are doing probably the duck stamp program what the state of Tennessee is doing on a state level and as they team up with the feds and the federal government and how they are teaming up to make sure that this flyway stays as strong as possible because it is so important with the Missouri River, the Mississippi River, flowing down into the Grand Prairie of Arkansas and the Black River, the White River, the Cash River, everything that goes into this part of the country of Southeast Missouri and Kentucky and Arkansas and Tennessee and other states, Mississippi, the Delta, This gets me fired up. This is the Fowl Life Podcast, and I wanted to make sure that our viewers and our listeners had an idea of the overall emphasis of Discovery Park, Elvis Presley, your history, Mr. Scott. But let's get down to the nitty gritty. Now, this is what gets my blood flowing, gives me goosebumps, no pun intended. This is going to be cool to be a part of. I hope one day I get to walk into this exhibit and see it. Talk to me about why. How did this come into fruition? What exactly is it? And give our listeners and viewers kind of an overall scope of what they can expect. You got it. So. You know, if you think about where Discovery Park is located, you mentioned Real Foot Lake. We're about 20 minutes from Real Foot Lake. For any listeners who aren't familiar, Real Foot Lake was formed after a series of earthquakes in 1811 and 1812. It was already low-lying land, but after the earthquakes, the ground opened up with the big earthquake. It shook the earth so much that it made the church bells ring in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. It was that strong. So the earthquake opened the ground up and the Mississippi River flowed backwards and filled it up. This is 1812. And it made an incredible lake 
a lot of the cypress trees are still on the edges and cypress knees grow out in the middle of it. It's not the kind of lake where you'd want to water ski. Um, it's uh, got cypress knees that hit the bottoms of the boat as you're fishing or hunting or whatever. So anyway, the culture of Real Foot Lake has always been a big part of Union City. Uh, some of the uh, years and years and years ago, hotels that were built in our downtown were built specifically to serve the hunters that would come in from all over the country to hunt here a word of fish here. So it's very much a sportsman area. Well, when we're trying to decide what kind of exhibits we should do next that, that are permanent, we try to think of how can we both educate people who have come here from all over the world. They Many times they've driven past cornfields and cotton fields. And, you know, and so that's why we ended up building the exhibit on innovation in agriculture. Um, and so as part of our conversations, um, I work a lot with the powers on a lot of different uh, tourism projects. And we thought, you know, we have a little bit about uh, waterfowl, but we should expand on that and really become a place here where we can serve both the businesses that serve the waterfowling community, but also plug into, you know, we have a lot of rangers that we work with and people from the state that, you know, bring their birds here. And, you know, so there's a lot we do. So we thought let's enhance that and come up with, with something interesting. My wife is a good example of our typical visitor. She said, I don't understand how is shooting the birds in the sky. How is that conservation? And so I said, well, you come to our exhibit and you'll find out why are they important? How, what do they do? What are the odd things about them and their feet and their wings and their fat? You know, so you can really explore, you know, waterfowl. And we have a place where you can look up different types of waterfowl and see what they look like when they're swimming and hear what they sound like. And then we tell the whole story of let me back up one second. When you're putting together an exhibit, you don't want to just put, uh, you know, boring facts up on a wall. You really want to come up with interactive, interesting ways people can explore it. And also the stories. We really look for the stories behind the topics. Ironically, in the museum business, we say we have swimmers, skimmers, and divers. So we try to create exhibits that appeal to all people, no matter how they like to experience. Um, I tend to be a skimmer. So I run through exhibits really fast and then I go back and kind of figure out what I wanted. My wife is a diver. She looks at every single thing and reads every panel. And so anyway, so that's how it got started. And then we started doing the same thing Robert Kirkland did the very first day he started thinking about Discovery Park. We said, we want to build an exhibit on uh, waterfowl um, hunting and conservation. We join our focus group. And so we've probably talked through the two years we've been working on this. We probably talked to, I'd say, at least 250 individuals who are either uh, duck hunters, collectors, uh, manufacturers of uh, apparel and decoys and scientists, conservationists, and just said, you know, here's what we're trying to do. Help us tell the story in a fun, interesting way to our visitors. And that's really how we come up with the content that we come up with. I love it. And I think that well, a good place to start real quick is the recreation of a real foot leg style duck blind. Um, I've had the honor and opportunity to hunt at real foot lake stumps, fog, eerie. This is a perfect week to talk about real foot lake because it could be 
kind of a haunted feeling in that lake and give you that wow like who's around me who's watching me what's going on here it's got that aura and mystique of a swamp meets a you know an unbelievable fishery to where you're not going to have a gator swim up i don't believe but you're going to have some unbelievable crappie fishing you're going to have opportunities at fishing that'll blow your mind and then the duck hunting is really neat and historically it's kind of cool and i'm again i'm not a know-it-all if you sat kelly down here kevin haskell or the guys that have spent their life hunting around that area, they're going to know a lot more about Real Foot Lake than I do. But the jugs, the decoy setups there, you're still going to find in 2023, many black jugs being used, weighted down as floating duck decoys. They might be mixed in with regular carved style, manufactured, painted scheme, texture, anatomically correct ducks but you're going to find a lot of jugs you're going to find electricity ran from these blinds underground to the decoy spreads where one flick of the switch is going to turn on your mojos your swimmers your sprayers everything that's kicking up the water and these blinds are kind of grandfathered down from generation to generation and they're hard to get and even to get invited in on sometime there are outfitters that offer the service of taking you out which i highly recommend going out and hunting ducks and geese on real foot lake but to be in one of these style duck blinds with a boat garage a kitchen in them biscuits and gravy being cooked um hot coffee wet dogs duck calls being blown like there's no tomorrow like screaming at them trying to call the ducks off of another duck blind that might only be which is one of the most interesting things about real foot lake style duck blinds is there might be one literally 200 yards from you that you're trying to call the ducks off of there's got to be an idea of respect and not trying to just shoot it ducks that are working another decoy spread that might peel off to your direction a little bit there's got to be that overall respect um, of your fellow duck hunters it's just such a cool story a cool vibe the culture of real foot lake is very very neat and again i am not a know-it-all about it but when i'm there i feel like i'm hunting back in history it doesn't matter what year it is it doesn't matter how intensive you are with your gear your technology your waders your jacket it takes me back to those days of our forefathers or our trailblazers the ones that were doing it when market hunting was in place in the mississippi valley or the mississippi flyway like this part of tennessee just a cool cool traditional place is real foot lake so this display a recreation of a real foot lake style duck blind on the museum's north lake providing a one-of-a-kind experience for visitors especially those unfamiliar with hunting and there's not a better duck blind to showcase hunting than a real foot style blind this is cool right scott this has got to be a neat exhibit for yourself your wife and all of your visitors to be a part of yeah yeah and it's you know everything you said is so true um you know moving here from washington dc we didn't do a lot of duck hunting in washington dc but here some of the guys that, that live around here took me duck hunting as part of the pre preparation for us working on this exhibit and you know you're right you know you get up at five o'clock in the morning if not earlier and it is exactly as you said exactly the picture that you painted um and i got to go um with some guys from around here and i mean it was uh, fascinating the way they have like stoves and refrigerator and you know and you're actually cooking like a whole breakfast best breakfast i ever had i had um in that uh duck blind uh, it was the duck blind of the parks uh brothers um who took me um hunting so really an impressive experience for people who haven't and it is of course impossible to create that feeling 
in an exhibit, but we've done what we could to attempt to. Um, we've worked very closely. Two things that makes me think of. One is we've worked very closely with Ben Parker, who is a guide here uh, at Rural Foot Lake, who him and some of um, his friends have actually built a Real Foot Lake style duck blind out on our lake uh, next to where we do part of the outdoor part of this exhibit. And so people can actually feel what it feels like to at least be on the lake. Our friends over at Higdon, which is in Paducah, they're actually putting duck decoys out and they've got it set up. So the ones that spin, you know, you can actually be in there and push the button to see it spin. Um, so there's some interactive components to this exhibit, you know, and then also the conservation part. Part of what is hard to communicate via an exhibit is what you sort of talked about, the emotion of being with friends, the camaraderie, the family related, you know, passing the experience down to children from grandparents. So, you know, we also have a theater that is a Ducks Unlimited a theater where very high tech uh, monitors and and hopefully in there the experience people can grasp a hold of a little bit of the cultural part of the experience of why duck hunting is important conservation is important preserving the land that ducks come to is important so that hopefully the story is told that way and it is a very uh, interactive kind of moving feeling uh there's feels like there's water on the ground so you know we've done everything we could to try to capture what you talked about um in an exhibit yeah i think that you know what you said capturing that camaraderie that energy of what the duck blind does to you and how therapeutic a duck blind is which i hope your guests and your museum goers get a good understanding of a lot of therapy has been provided through that duck blind um i mentioned st jude's we've done a lot of work with st jude's and ronald mcdonald house of taking kids that had been five-year disease-free because they never say they're in remission but five years disease-free and taking that kid his dad and then all of a sudden it turns into his mom and his sister to a duck blind in oklahoma they're from louisiana they travel with us and to see the therapy and the smile kids that have lost all of their motor skills and have to learn how to eat again how to talk again how to walk again are in a duck blind with us i've had soldiers that have taken shrapnel to the brain that have lost their memory that have lost their legs double amputees in wheelchairs and to hear what they say when they're in a duck blind and what mother nature and that whole energy of that blind does and that's what real foot lake and what a display like this at discovery park is so important and vital to the fabric of our society is because People have to understand that it's not just pointing a gun, squeezing a trigger and taking a life. There's a lot more that goes into the conservation efforts. And when you get down to the human psyche and why a man or a woman or a kid and why men and women get their kids and the next generation involved in this awesome lifestyle is because of the thinking, the leadership, the commitment, the responsibility, the therapy, what it does to your psyche of living off the land and taking the responsibility of taking an animal's life, having a dog well trained enough to go get it, bring it back to you, and then be able to visualize a recipe and how to feed that protein-enriched diet, that bounty to your friends and family. And that overall aura of what a duck blind means and the significance of it is so big. And I hope that people will understand that when they sit in there and that button's pushed and that spinning wing decoy starts or they hear Kelly Powers, mah, 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 
and hear Kelly light up a duck call. I hope they understand or get a, a chill that goes down their spine of, man, there's something really neat that could happen within duck and goose blinds all over this world, all over this country, Canada, North America, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Peru, Chile, South Island and New Zealand, Italy. I know a lot of countries where I've duck hunted. That therapy is there. That aura is there. So I think it's really neat that people that have never been outside of what we call the quote unquote concrete jungle. Um, there's kids that go into this museum that have never been to a museum, probably have never seen an elevator, an escalator. They've probably never seen it. No, have any idea that duck blinds exist. So I think it's awesome that you're giving them the opportunity to feel that energy come into their body. And hopefully it takes them to like, man, I like that. I want to go and maybe participate in a hunter safety program or a youth hunt in Tennessee. Maybe I'm going to go over to Final Flight Outfitters and check out the duck calls or the waiters and what the Powers family is doing over there. So just so cool to know that Ducks Unlimited DU out of Memphis, which their headquarters are, is involved in this and that you guys are are striving to bring all of these different experiences to the point to where you even have a display of art in here, the decoys, the carving, the history of decoys. I mentioned the jugs at Real Foot Lake and then you have the duck calls, the Tennessee style call, the Arkansas style J-frame call. The, the tongue pincher style call. There's so much history in duck calling that Discovery Park is showcasing. When you're talking about this display, is it going to be one that stays? Because before you mentioned that you have, you know, like a, a rock and roll one will come in for a couple weeks and they'll be gone and they're not maintained and they're, they're not set in stone. Is this going to be one that's going to be at Discovery Park from now on through eternity? Yeah, this will be here forever. Um, when we built our ag exhibit, our intention was as a museum, a museum is supposed to be an organization that plugs into the culture of a greater community. And so with ag, we made ourselves available. We made sure the space was, had a lot of meeting room and, you know, that, and, and, and that has actually come to fruition that we are part of the ag community in this region, part of the ag community at UT Martin and the professors that teach ag. You know, our space is a living, breathing, uh, embodiment of ag agriculture and horticulture and we try to stay on the cutting edge and so same thing with waterfowl hunting you know we want this to be something that folks who come to real foot lake to hunt or fish say you know you got to check this out you know and they come check it out and you know of course our friends over at ducks unlimited are going to use the space to have uh, meetings and gatherings and fundraisers you know we tell a lot of stories of a lot of people who are doing heavy duty work like you mentioned to increase the people that are enjoying the sport uh, we talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion and highlight some of the all women duck hunting clubs duck hunting clubs that are targeting people with disabilities you know part of the some of the clubs that are targeting you know folks who are um, all different ethnicities and so you know we want to make sure that everybody knows that there's a space for them in the world of duck hunting and and then we mentioned conservation and why you know you mentioned the duck stamp program discovery park is the location for the tennessee youth duck stamp program and the award ceremonies are held here and the kids get free admission and they come and see their work highlighted and so we talk about the duck stamp program here as well and we talk about cutting edge futuristic things but then we also talk about the past and the history we have a whole 
section. I'm sure you're, we talked about history a while ago. This is, this part is really near and dear to my heart. Um, Theodore Roosevelt, he had a place called the Maltese Cross Cabin where after his wife died, he moved there planning to be a rancher and a hunter for the rest of his life and not, you know, thinking he was going to be the president of the United States. That's where he developed his love and his passion for conservation. We have a whole little mini cabin that we've recreated part of the Maltese Cross Cabin and we tell the story of Theodore Roosevelt and what triggered his passion for conservation that really lasted for the rest of his life. And that we all get to benefit from still today, you know, the stuff he did was so uh, incredible. So we tell that story as well. So we go all the way to the past and then we, we talk about the future and then also try to encourage people if they do have interest to get involved with Ducks Unlimited, to get involved with one of these hunting clubs in the area um, and why it's important. So important. And I think that, you know, that messaging is so optimistic and positive and that frame that you guys are presenting it in that I would assume that most of your audience is going to not have hunting experience. I would say that some of them are probably going to come from a hunting background in that area because hunting is so prolific in that part of the country in the South and Southeast. Um, I'm going to go upwards of 60 to 70% of the country's hunters live within a six to seven hour drive of Nashville, Tennessee. That's why Safari Club International has chosen Nashville, Tennessee for their international convention that's coming back in January of 2024. They held their first one there after many years in Reno, Nevada and Las Vegas, Nevada in Nashville last year in February of 2023. And it was a huge success because of all the hunters in that area being able to access it and drive there. It's a lot easier to get there for most of the country's hunters. So having this display at Discovery Park it's just so cool that people are going to have that ability and that opportunity to experience this and to visualize this and to be a part of this. So I think it's great. I think that, um, you know, duck hunters, myself, brands across the country are going to want to get involved. Um, I know that the Powers family already has, and that's exactly who the Powers family is, is they are going to be involved in something like this because they truly believe in this culture, this lifestyle, and more, most importantly, securing it for generations to come, becoming the correct type of ambassador that showcases this lifestyle. It's a privilege to hunt, but it is a right to hunt. It's biblical. We have the right to hunt and it's our actions, our words, how we present this activity or this lifestyle to the outlying circle that might not understand it. Because I think that most people don't understand it. I think that there's 10% of people that do and do it, 10% of people that hate it, and then like 80% of people that sit on that fence not knowing what's going on. Where did you get that hamburger from? Where did that piece of pork come from? How did you get that wild turkey nugget? How They're inquisitive. They're curious. COVID showed that. When meat wasn't available, beef wasn't available, you couldn't go down to a local supermarket or butcher and get you a half rack of ribs or some hamburger. I was letting a lot of people enjoy our bounties of wild game and a lot of questions were asked. So I think this display at Discovery Park is going to get a lot of curiosity going, get the mind working, get a lot of questions going. What is that? Why? Why are we hunting? What is conservation? What is decoying? calling all of it dog work. It's so neat. It's such a cool thing to know that museums are going to have 
a duck hunting, goose hunting, conservation, waterfowling display. Scott, thank you, my man. This is awesome. Am I missing anything? Can I add anything to this? I can't wait to come visit it. I'm in Nashville and Memphis all the time. I will be there. I'll call Kelly. Hopefully he can give me a self-guided tour. I would like him to wear the hat, have the whistle, have the shirt on, the name tag. I want Kelly to be my tour guide, please. I want that. I want to line that up. So if we can make that happen, maybe I could bring our film crew in there and document our visit there while we're hunting around that area of the i-40 corridor southeast missouri the boot hill kentucky um you're talking about so much enriched waterfowl history in that area i mean arkansas is considered the duck capital of the world with the rice and the flooded timber and the grand prairie there north of i-40 is amazing duck hunting east of or west of memphis on i-40 is Arkansas. You go east a little bit and you have awesome mallard hunting in that region. Mississippi Delta, the Gadwalls, the mallards, the speckle belly geese. It's an amazing enriched area. So I'm there a lot and I'm so happy to know that you guys have taken this to the next level of showcasing this lifestyle at Discovery Park. So thank you, Mr. Scott. You're the president and CEO. You're making the right decisions. Let me know if I missed anything. Tell the folks, the listeners, the viewers, anything that you want, because I'm fired up. I can't wait to see your display. Thank you very much for being on the Foul Life Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I do want to add, you mentioned Arkansas. Uh, the folks down there in Arkansas, the duck hunting capital of the world, uh, have been incredible. George Dunklin um, has been a big partner in creating this, and he's been very helpful. Uh, he was best buddies with Alan Homera, who passed away away from COVID. And so uh, Alan's father, Bill Hammer, also passed away and he helped us raise a lot of money for this exhibit in their memory. And we have a little bit of them scattered throughout the exhibits as well. So the Ducks Unlimited folks have been just incredible with content and education and helping us make this right. Um, as you mentioned, duck hunters uh, and conservationists from this area are going to come in and check it out. And I'm sure if we got anything wrong, they're going to let us know and we'll be able to fix it. Uh, but we're really excited about getting you here so you let me know and i know kelly will definitely give you a personal tour and i'll stand in the back and take pictures i think that being a part of it and documenting it and making it a part of a visit we filmed in the arkansas duck hunting and duck calling hall of fame my good friend jim shockey has opened up the hand to man museum up north of the border in bc which is another awesome museum dedicated to the history and conservation and so much that goes into this so i am so excited to be a guest at Discovery Park and to, just to know that folks are investing in this means the world to me. I, I get a lot of requests for this show of topics, <clears throat> guests that want to come on. And I, and I really do try to handpick them right. And when I read up on this and studied it, and saw what it was. I didn't want to let this opportunity pass. We want to be a part of it. We want to help in the areas that we can. We want to spread the word about it. We have a lot of ways to spread that word through the podcast, the TV show, social media, live events. Let's work together, Scott. This is awesome. Kudos to you. I, I can picture your wife going into the waterfowl display and just looking at every single intricate detail of what's going on and looking at that, the feathers on a duck and wanting to know what that wing is and why their feet are that color and their beaks. 
why are the girls so uncolored in America compared to the boy ducks? But you go to South America and the girl ducks are all colored up. It's crazy how cool waterfowling is. And when you start studying it from the breeding grounds and the tundra up north and these migratory paths that they take to get down here and then all the way back up there to breed again, it's incredible. And if it wasn't for the heart of a hunter, the ultimate conservationist, the monies and the investment that we make through the duck stamp program, through ammunition buys, through gun buys, through all of these brands giving back to whether it's National Wild Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, California Waterfowl, Quail Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation. I can name conservation groups that are working their butts off, including a local one here in my hometown, Nevada Bighorns Unlimited, that are giving back on a daily basis. So if you're a hunter, no matter what stage of your career you're in as a hunter, understand what the big picture is. We all go through maturity levels in life and our hunting career. Get involved in Discovery Park. Give to it. Donate to it. We need displays like this. We need intelligence like this. We need education matters like this. It's for the future of this unbelievable life of being a duck and goose hunter, turkey hunter, deer hunter, you name it. It's our right, but we have to protect it. We have to fly the flag the correct way. So let's work with individuals like my man, Mr. Scott here at Discovery Park, Union City, Tennessee, opening November 10th, 2023. In just a couple weeks, we're going to have a waterfowl hunting and conservation exhibit that's going to blow our mind dedicated to the Mississippi flyway and other flyways across the country. I'm Chad Belling. This is the Fowl Eye Podcast. I'm fired up. Scott's got me fired up. Thank you for being on, my man. Have a great day in Tennessee. And um, maybe one day we could share an Elvis song. Uh-huh. I won't fold the money. Aha. I'm not even going to try to impersonate him. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Scott. Bye-bye. Everybody check out future episodes of the Fowl Eye Podcast coming soon. I'm so proud of this podcast. We got awesome guests coming, awesome topics. Thank you for the downloads and subscriptions. We could be back at you soon. For more information, hit us up at info at thefowllife.com. And don't forget to check out brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life, airing exclusively right now on the Outdoor Channel. We're in states like Wyoming, Nebraska, California, Louisiana with my man Drew Keith at Honey Break, and so many other great destinations, including this week in Oklahoma with Flatline Outfitters, Mallard Ducks, and Lesser Canada Geese and Peanut Fields that will blow your mind. I'm Chad Belding. I'm signing off. Thank you all for being here for another episode of The Foul Life Podcast. Discovery Park of America's new permanent exhibit, Duck Duck Goose, Waterfowl of the Mississippi Flyway, is now open. This is going to be cool. Discovery Park in Union City, Tennessee, is going to be the Mississippi Flyway Waterfowl Hunting and Conservation Display. This gets me fired up. This is the Fowl Life Podcast. We are in to birds. We're in to the migration. Further explore the role that hunting plays in the conservation of waterfowl at Discovery Park of America in Union City, Tennessee, and by visiting the Fowl Life Life.com. Thanks to Travel Wisconsin, the Foul Life's own chat building will wrap the show after these words from our partners. We'll be right back. It's called Benelli's The Foul Life for a reason. We love Benelli. They are the top shelf of waterfowl shotguns, all shotguns for that matter, in my opinion. But when you start talking about duck blinds, goose blinds, lay down blinds, panel blinds, pit blinds, the debris, the wear and tear, everything that we put our guns through throughout a duck season, whether it's a 60 day duck season in the south or you start up north and north of the border in Canada, Alberta, Saskatchewan and follow the migration south. Some of us, myself included, hunt over 120 days a year. And every single time I squeeze that Benelli trigger, it goes bam. I'm so 
proud and honored to be part of the Benelli family. And when it comes to the Super Black Eagle 3, the 12 gauge, the 20 gauge, the 28 gauge, I absolutely love this line of shotguns, the inertia, every single thing from the rib down to the sight, to the choke tube, to the constrictions, the performance is what it's all about with Benelli. The Super Black Eagle series in 12 gauge, 20 gauge, and 28 gauge, whether you get Rob Roberts to build the performance shop or you keep them straight out of the box factory, they perform their simply perfect. It's Benelli. It's the confidence of shouldering that shotgun and the responsibility of pointing it at a live animal and squeezing that trigger. The dispatch, humane, ethics, everything that goes into it. Benelli believes in the culture of the duck hunter, the goose hunter, the turkey hunter, the upland hunter. So whether you're doing sporting clays, whether you're chasing waterfowl, chasing upland, chasing turkeys, Benelli builds a shotgun for you. Benelli's the foul life. They're 13 seasons as our title sponsor. Can you imagine this relationship thank you benelli thank you all for supporting benelli and i know it's all of our goal to walk into that sporting good that benelli dealer that store and say let me shoulder that super black eagle and now you can do it in so many gauges the sub gauges included we're fired up good luck this season stay safe out there and shoot straight shoot benelli We've had the provider mentality for a long time. Growing up and watching dad and mom cook wild game, whether it was an Italian lasagna or a spaghetti, I watched in awe and I couldn't wait to be old enough to do it. Then we got to travel and meet all of these different chefs at all these different lodges in Argentina and Uruguay or Paraguay or Arkansas or Missouri or Chef Mark Lindsay who you hear on the podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody, a lot up in Minnesota at Trapper's Landing, part of the Reed's family of brands. And I started to learn so many different unorthodox, out-of-the-box ways of preparing Mr. Billy Bogey smothered deer steak at Prairie Wings Duck Club in Arkansas or the duck empanadas at Duck Guides of Argentina. And they all became part of the provider cookbook, the provider mentality at theproviderlife.com, our rubs, our original 10 in the ultimate pack, including the swine and the flaky, the spawn, the drop time, the foul, the crosshairs, the Brit, the dragon, the Sonora. Then we introduced the brand beef rub and the mother cluck and chicken rub. And you can find recipes at theproviderlife.com. Check out the provider TV on the My Outdoor TV app, Mo TV, part of the Outdoor Sportsman's Group and the Outdoor Channel family of brands. We got more coming. We got so much more coming. Good luck out in the field. Good luck out on the rivers. I hope you get those wild turkey nuggets and that pickle juice right away and get ready to throw down with some different rubs on them. The provider lifestyle. We're so honored to live it. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be outdoorsmen, hunter, gatherers, conservationists, and providers. Again, theproviderlife.com. Thank you for visiting. The Answer 12. It's our new Foul Life Edition safe gun storage system from our friends at Secure It. Brand new design, so much room, so much organization, so much potential, so many options. You can see videos on our YouTube, on episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life, airing exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We do everything with our Secure It Answer 12 Foul Life Edition safe. Check them out at secureit.com right now and design your own. Get the cubbies, get the shelves, get the bungees, get the magnetic hanging hooks. You got plenty of room for 12 long guns in there and the organization that you can do with everything from knives to binos to dog training equipment to sporting clay equipment to eyewear ear protection all of your chokes all of your sights everything that you want you can organize it for different times of the year it might be dog training season it might be sporting clay season it might be duck season it might be turkey season organize it it is a safe built for the shot gunner my friends tom chris everybody in new york at secure it helped me design this safe our crew went to work on it and we have come up with a configuration that will allow you to make it your own comes with the magnet set with the foul life with lab 
Flaps and ducks and flocks, working geese, working ducks. The Foul Life Edition Secure It Answer 12 Safe is available right now at secureit.com. Check us out this coming February at the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. We will have more of them on site, on display, like we did last year in our booth. It's going to be magnificent. I hope you get a chance to get your hands on your own, organize it the way that you see fit. And when you open those doors and see what you've created, it's going to give you even more energy, even more aura, even more enthusiasm for this unbelievable lifestyle that we get to live as an American shotgunner, American duck hunter, turkey hunter, upland hunter, dog trainer. Let's do it. Get the Answer 12 Foul Life Edition right now at secureit.com. You can't go wrong with it. Thank you so much, Secureit, and thank you all so much for supporting the brands that support us here at the Foul Life Podcast and the Foul Life TV. The show is almost over, but the exploration has just started at Discovery Park of America with the new Duck Duck Goose Waterfowl of the Mississippi Flyway exhibit. You're going to be able to walk into an area of Discovery Park in Union City, Tennessee, Mr. Scott, and learn about migratory birds, their migration paths, conservation efforts that have put more birds in the flyway, what farmers are doing, what hunters are doing, what conservationists are doing, probably the duck stamp program. Thank you all for being here for another episode of the Fowl Life Podcast. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Fowl Life with Chad Belding and guest Scott Williams of Discovery Park of America. Don't miss a single episode of The Fowl Life. Listen on SoundCloud, iHeart, Spotify, thefowllife.com, or on your favorite streaming platform. Invest in the future of waterfowl, wildlife, and the great outdoors.